Hi, and welcome to the Trail to Austin, the place to get to know the people of Austin and find out how they became the people of Austin. I'm your host, Bob Morris, and a few miles away from me via Zoom is my co-host, Joel. Hello, staying socially distant. Yeah. So I was thinking the other day, I was at HEB, and I've seen this guy walk across the parking lot, noticed his head sunburn, you know, but he had his mask on. I was thinking back when we used to be kids, and we'd go snow skiing or something, you know, and you'd come home and you'd have the raccoon eyes from... Uh, yeah, from the, yeah. I'm wondering what we're all going to look like in three months with this mask thing. Well, it's going to put a whole new definition to tan lines. Yeah, definitely. So... um this is kind of fun today. I think we're going to have a good time because um, we got somebody on who I've wanted to talk to for a while, and I've, I've listened to his podcast. He's also had several bands around Austin and is currently in one of the most popular bands in town, especially to book for different gigs and stuff like that. Um, and so with that, I want to welcome Johnny Gowdy. Hello. How you doing? Hello, Johnny. I am doing well. I am. I, uh, I'm having a, a pretty good day. I had some technical uh, mishaps last night with my podcast, but uh, I've had a good day. I, I work with the Austin Music Foundation as uh, a mentor in their artist development program, and, uh, and I spent a few hours today uh, going through our next, our next group of people, which is uh, what we do is we choose six or seven artists or bands and put them through some training and then we, uh, help them with their songwriting, help them. Uh, we end up recording, uh, a tune or two with them. And, uh, basically the, the choosing of the bands is, is four of us arguing around a table for a couple of months and then coming up with a list of bands. But also this year we're trying to figure out how to do it even through this social distancing thing. So there's been a whole new layer of sort of like trying to, a, a new puzzle to figure out, if you will. Yeah. Well, it's a new world, and I don't think it'll ever be the same. So uh, yeah, just kind of jump on ahead and see what we can make of it. Yeah. So this is interesting. Uh, you say bands. How old are, are these newcomers or these? Yeah, uh, they're, they're bands usually that, are, that we feel have uh, done enough on their own to warrant some kind of help. Like we don't, we don't have the, the structure of giving away money like a black fret. We can just provide the education and the mentorship from sure. the, from the mentors and also uh, the different people we come in to speak to the, the class and as far as making the record. But uh, what part of what we try to take into consideration is that we feel like there's a band that we can help get, take their next step. Then that's, that's usually the, the criteria for getting a band in. So who are the other mentors? Uh, and are they just musicians or is it legal? And, and No, no, no. The mentors are musicians. Uh, they're people that have been through a storied sort of career. Uh, me, my former bandmate, Anar Peterson, who went on to play with uh, Kelly Clarkson for like a decade. And now he plays with the Fray and with oh, a nice. few other bands. Yeah. And Alex Vallejo who is right. in Vallejo and uh, is one of the people that runs the School of Rock here in Austin and and uh, and does a lot of booking. So uh, between the three of us, we kind of walk those guys through six months of some kind of education. 
fantastic. Yeah, yeah nice. You, you're the trailblazers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sweet. So can you give us a little background of how you actually got into music? I mean, you I noticed you bounced around a little bit from here to there and stuff. And how did you first get started? Um. My, well, when I first got started, my mom made me take guitar lessons, and I didn't really want to take them. I wanted to do something else. I didn't have a teacher that taught you anything cool at all. And uh, and then uh, my parents were divorced. I lived in the, the woodlands at the time. I went to Miami to spend the summer with my dad, and I went with these kids to go see a Cheap Trick concert. And that's where it all, like, I was like, wait a minute. That's what I want to do. And uh, there was a girl that... <laughs> I was 13 and there was a girl that was 16 with the group and uh, she told me that she would get it on with Robin Zander from Cheap Trick because she loved any guy who sang and played guitar. And I realized at that moment that I played <laughs> guitar. So I made sure that I mentioned it and I was like, that's, I'm, that's my line from now on. So Did it work? No, not at all. But, but you know, <laughs> eventually, I mean, <laughs> I'm still like a 13 year old kid, but, uh, but, but she was impressed. There was like a twinkle, like, Oh, you do kind of thing. Yeah. No, Cheap Trick well, was one like of my the, first concerts. I mean, that's, that's a good place to start for somebody. Cheap Trick? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. One of my, uh, my all time favorite bands. Yeah. Sure. So. You you bumped around a little bit, and if your Wikipedia page is correct, you wound up in Austin right about the same time I did, early 90s, right? Yeah. Uh, I lived here in the mid-80s. My mom and I moved here from the Woodlands when I was a teenager, and then she died, and I moved to Miami, finished high school living with my dad, and then moved to Houston for a while, started a band, and the band did pretty well, like like Houston standards, because that was sort of a different tiered scene than here. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, when I felt like I had reached like the the ceiling in Houston, I have a mentor here named Mark Hallman, who was a good friend of my mom's when I was a kid, and really took me under his wing when I was thirteen, and basically brought me into this thing. And he has a studio here in town called the Congress House, and he was like, "Man, if you want to come live here, you can live here at the Congress House for." 150 bucks a month, no bills. And so nice. Wow. I was going to ask jumped. you to talk about your, uh, uh, to talk about your relationship with Mark. He's been one of my heroes for a long, long time. Yeah. He, uh, he's a lot of people's here. Did you see, they made a documentary about him, the shopkeeper. I, I heard about it. I haven't seen it. It's interesting. Cause there's, he, he has collected these people that are <laughs> like these lost kids. That needed some kind of thing. Like a bunch of them even lived at the Congress house. I was yeah. just, I was one of the, one of the group, but, um, I met him when I was 13. His wife at the time, uh, back then it was, I guess 1982 or something like that was friends with my mom and my mom owned a booth at the Texas Renaissance Festival in Magnolia. And, uh, uh his ex-wife, uh, came and sold stuff up at our booth and then I met Mark and he was like, Oh yeah, you know, I heard you want to be a musician. And I had just seen him. It's funny. I just seen him like a couple of days before on Letterman playing with Carol King. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, really like living in the woodlands and going to knock junior high at 13, nobody, nobody, there was no musician, no grown up musicians lived in the woodlands. Then, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so here I had access to this, this guy, 
that like played on TV and like this was his life. You know what I mean? And even though he wasn't a household name, he was a professional working musician. And I think that's one of the things that, that uh, differentiates a lot of kids that kind of grow up, if, a lot of them in Austin, is that you, you're, you know all these people that are professional musicians. They're not like Bono or like household names by any means, but they are people who make this whole thing go. And, and when I saw that when I was a kid, I was like, oh, you can, I mean, Hallman has his own band in place. He goes and he plays with, uh, with Dan Fogelberg. He would go and play with Carol King. He'd produce records for other people. I was like, there's tons of stuff to do in this business. And it's all super fun because you're always hanging out with your friends. You know what I mean? Sure. And well, and you get to know somebody like that and you go, well, hell, I can do it too. Yeah, totally. I mean, I've basically spent my life just trying to do what Mark does. Well, my whole life has been spent trying to be Mark, so that's okay. Yeah, a lot of us, yeah. (laughs) At the time you wound up here, I mean, like I said, that was right around the same time I wound up here. You know, it seemed like there was a super thriving music scene on 6th Street and Antones, you know, up north of campus and around there. And now it seems a little more niche, but did you find that made it easier to get into places to play and stuff like that when there was that kind of music scene or... Uh, no, I, I, you know, when I first started playing here, there was a place that where Cheer Up Charlie's and Club DeVille was called Chances. Oh yeah. (laughs) I remember that. I can't remember the name of the lady that owned it, but she passed away. She was really wonderful person, but she, I mean, that was like a thriving lesbian bar at the time. And I went and saw Sarah Hickman there once. Yeah. Yeah. She she let I was a little I was a little weird. Like I didn't play like Americana music. I didn't play uh blues. I didn't play some kind of rockabilly or country or something like you know, I I had like this it was like this trying to be like a cross between my bloody Valentine and, and the Beatles or something. <laughs> that that wasn't really like not really what they ask you to come play the Continental Club for, you know what I mean? Right. But it was people like her, and there was a guy at the place, Mercado Caribe. Remember that place? Yeah. Yep. And even though it was a reggae place, it was like, well, you're weird enough to play here, so go ahead. You know, I ended up kind of playing those kind of places a lot. You know, I think I played a fundraiser at Chances. And uh, it was for a lesbian cause. And my then wife showed up, and I just remember some gal standing up in the back going, Oh, the door prize is here. <laughs> but I remember chances. Yeah, it was a good place. I thought it was a good scene then. Um, at the scene that, that I was very much excited about kind of took off a few years later when there were bands like uh, 16 Deluxe and Spoon and yeah, yeah, Cola and things. sort of that hole-in-the-wall electric lounge scene, even though I wasn't really – officially a part of that scene because I played at Steamboat a lot. There was sort of a, a little bit of a um, uh, there was a, a little bit of a, 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 you know what I mean? There wasn't like you didn't never you never saw Vallejo at uh, at Electric Lounge and you never saw Spoon at Steamboat. So there was that kind of sort of the division right. there at the time. But yeah. I've never, I mean, I've never really I don't know. I've, I've never really subscribed to that sort of like, I don't like those guys or, right. you know what I mean? I've always felt like you can move fluidly between the scenes 
And I feel in some way I've kind of done that throughout my thing. Yeah, no, I, the reason I'd asked the question was because I remember seeing you at Steamboat a couple of times. So, you know, that was usually our go-to place. When we... Yeah. And, you know, the thing that I felt about Steamboat was like, man, they had a good sound system. They had really awesome stage and lights. They treated you really well. You got the whole door. You know what I mean? There was, yeah. there was a lot of things about it that I thought were like a little bit better than some of the other places where you'd end up with 20 bucks, you know? Oh, yeah. No, well, I always Steamboat thought... is, is a legacy, you know, and I think you're exactly right. Each, every club had an identity yeah. and a roster. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know, you had Toulouse, you had uh, anchovies, you had, you know, they each had their uh, their palate, as it were. Right. Yeah. Liberty Lunch was a place that I really liked oh, playing. Yeah. And Mark and Jim oh, Jeanette yeah. were always really kind enough to put us on a lot of really great shows there. No, you know. Well, there a were a lot was, of places that are, are gone. Yeah. yeah. That was a place I was really sad that when that went away. So, you know, you kind of hear all these people say, oh, it hadn't been the same since the Armadillo. Well, I didn't get here when the Armadillo was here. But for me, it hadn't been the same since Liberty Lunch. Man, I can't, I cannot remember who it was that told me this on my podcast, but somebody told me this great story about moving here in 1975 and like going to the armadillo and hanging out with somebody there. And, and they're like, man, this is like the most thriving, coolest scene. And they're like, Oh, it's over. You should have been here a couple of years ago. <laughs> That's always right. the way it is, right? So people have been saying that about Austin the whole time. Yeah. No. It- it, that's always the way it is. It's like, eh, you're 10 years too late. Okay. Yeah. 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 So tell us how I, you wound up with this motley crew of, uh, people in, uh, Skyrocket. Well, that before comes- you do that, I okay. have a question. Okay. So it, Skyrocket was formerly the KTEL hit machine. Yes. Sir. Okay. Any relationship to Ernie Sky and the KTEL? No. Uh, the K-Tel okay. Hit Machine was the actual name of a K-Tel album that came out right. in 1975 that I think, because I didn't play the first two gigs, it started off as like a, uh, it started off as like a thing these guys like, uh, Kyle Crusham, uh, from The Real Heroes and Skyrocket called Darren and a couple of other guys and said, hey, why don't we learn these five songs and go play at the Rock and Roll Free For All at the Hole in the Wall, which was this Sunday night show where people got up and played five songs. It was free to get in. It was mostly just other bands and it was, it was really awesome. I don't know if you guys ever went to that or anything. It was kind of Paul Miner's thing, but it turned out, I mean, there were bands there trying out their new songs every Sunday, like fastball and soon and all these bands. It was just a lot of fun. There's usually a big jam at the end of the night with a bunch of drunken people. Um, but, uh, but that's how it started. And I think when they were thinking of a name, some of the songs that they had taken from were on that KTL Hit Machine album. But that, how I know all those guys goes back a long way. Like, um, I was in a band with, you guys know Kevin Lovejoy, the piano player? Yeah. Here in yep. Town? Yep. Kevin and I were in a band in 1988 with his brother and a couple of other guys in Houston. And... We did a show at this place called the Axiom in downtown Houston. And the band that went on after us, the lead singer of that band was Benjamin Hotchkiss from the Real Heroes and Skyrocket. 
And so I met him that night and both of us were kind of like, we were both the lead singers of our band. And I do remember us talking about how we were the coolest people in our band and how we needed that. We needed to get out. I was like 19 years old. And so, uh, and then like a few months later, I started another band and I went to go see the keyboard player play or the key, our keyboard player was the sound guy for Ezra Charles and the Works. you know, that mm -hmm. band. So like mm -hmm. in December of 1988, I went to go see Ezra Charles and the Works with our, the keyboard player I was courting, who was the sound guy of the band. And the drummer of that band was a young man named Darren Murphy, oh, wow. uh, who was real cool. And, uh, I remember talking to him in a parking lot and thinking like, wow, this guy, he knows his Beatles stuff. Like this is the guy you can, you can hang out with. So from then, like then I moved to Austin in 1991 and uh, I was friends with this singer songwriter here in town named Michelle Solberg. Mm -hmm. And she and I were doing a lot of stuff together. And I was like, I want to start a band and I want like a really weird guitar player. And she was like, you got to meet this guy, Paul English. And so that's how I met Paul. So then, I, you know, I became, I knew Trish a little bit in Houston, not very well, but I knew Darren. And then we all always stayed in touch. And I was at the second KTL hit machine show at the hole in the wall. It was either the first or the second. And it was on a Sunday night and I've been drinking and there were all my friends playing these cool 70s songs and there was no keyboard player. And I had just bought a Rhodes a few months before. And I was like, hey, you got to get me in your band. I've got a Rhodes. And so eventually I, they ended up asking me to do this thing in 2002. I, yeah, it's like, it was like a Valentine's of 2002 at Antone. And then that's how I got in the band. And uh, then long story short, somebody asked us, we did another hole in the wall thing. We weren't doing it for money at all. We were just literally just doing it for fun and to try and learn these songs and play them together and to hang out together. So uh, somebody had seen us at the hole in the wall and asked us to play a show like a Wendy's corporate Christmas party. And we had to fill in a lot of time, but it was good money. And then Darren was like, if we get Trish in the band, then there's no song we can't do. They can do. We can do female songs, male songs. And then we did that show and, you know, it just kind of started snowballing from there. People were like, oh, you know, we had friends that booked events and they were like, hey, can we get you guys to play this event for us? And then it was turned out to be a lot more money than we were all making on our solo career right. at that point. And we were like, well, why don't we try and do this? And so it's turned into this now. So, so do you do mostly corporate gigs? Yeah, I mean, we do we do a lot of private events, uh, different corporate gigs, weddings, uh, people's 50th birthday parties. And uh, and then we also do like a, a few club shows a month and, you know, to keep keep our name out there. And uh, those have been going well. You know, we built this thing to where now we play where we were playing a couple times a year in Austin at like 310 and Antone's. And then, like, you know, doing Sam's and San Antonio and uh, other places. And, and it, it's really worked out for us. We've been really lucky. So did I see that you guys did a, a sh couple shows over in Europe? Did I see some pictures from that? No, we have been to uh, Canada, oh, maybe Cabo, and the Bahamas. Oh, okay. 
Well, yeah. still not bad. <laughs> no, not bad at all. And all over the country, too. We've been able to, to go do a lot of really neat, cool shows. Yeah, no, that's turned into quite the thing. I know that you guys have quite the following. You, I hear it all the time. Hey, Skyrocket's playing over here tonight. Yeah, we need yeah, to get yeah. tickets. We need to go. Yeah, it's a good time. There's actually, we put out a video of, of a show uh, that we played at 310 last year for, you know, for our fans. Uh, I can send you guys a link to it if you want to check it out. It's a good time. Love okay. to see it. Yeah. Hey, so, so tell me about how you got into podcasting. Um, <clears throat> let's see. It's kind of started with I would listen to Fresh Air all the time, and a friend of mine asked me if I had heard a certain episode, and I said no. And then she said, well, you can go listen to it on this thing called a podcast, and you can download it to your iPod. And I was like, what? So then it opened this whole new world to me that I could listen to all these episodes of Fresh Air and literally never miss an episode. I was so excited. And then I was telling my cousin about that. And he was like, do you, you know that that like there's people that make their own? And I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, just people can just make their own. And then a lot of my favorite comedians were doing it. And so I was checking it out. And then I was like, shit, I have all the stuff. You know what I mean? I. <laughs> Sure. I should do a show. So I spent six months trying to figure out what this show would be. And uh, I realized I would, you know, there's like a, you know how like when there's a late night show now, if, if there's like a format to a late night show, a guy comes out, says some jokes standing up and goes and sits behind a desk, says some other stupid things. And then a person comes out and there's like a layout to it. So I took this sort of layout from like Nerdist and WTF and other ones that had like a intro where you let people know what's going on with you and then you have this conversation with someone. Only there were so many different ideas I had. There was one idea I had where I would talk for an hour. And That's then I hard. tried to record a couple of those and that was the most difficult thing I've ever done. I don't think I ever even got to 30 minutes. I was just, I would just, just be like, I don't, I don't know how Rush Limbaugh does this for three hours a day, five days a week. Yeah. Um, and then not that I'm a fan of, of his, but the fact that a guy can sit there and talk for three hours on a microphone. And it's not like Dudley and Bob where they have a room full of people, you know, one guy, I mean, like if, you know, you, you got to hold it together. Anyway, so I was watching Nakia's first appearance on The Voice. And I had seen him a few weeks before at Saxon Pub playing to like 17 people. And then here he was playing to God knows how many millions. And all I could think was like, as soon as, you know, I talked to him again, I'm going to be like, what did that feel like? And I was, all I could think was his response would be like, all I could think was, how did I get here? And then I started thinking about that phrase, wrote it down. Mm -hmm. And then there it was. I was like, I can just call my friends and have them come talk to me and see what happens there. And I kind of laid down the law with myself to have like two shows a week. At that point, Dale, uh, Dale Dudley, who's a really good friend of mine, uh, has had, had started their original podcast. I think it was called, uh, Taint and Teabag. Taint and Teabag, the Taint and Teabag show. Thank you. Uh, 
they had done the Taint and Teabag show. And I think the original one was just him talking. And that's why I thought I could do it. Because I was like, if Dale can talk for an hour, then I can talk for an hour. But he, <laughs> he can do it, and I can't. So, uh, so uh, you know, I got from him and also Charlie Hodge, who wasn't with them anymore. But he was really into podcasts and just started like a network and stuff like that. And so I got with both of those guys and kind of like learned the discipline of it. And, uh, you know, I put out two shows a week, at least every week through this quarantine, I started doing three shows a week for a while. Wow. Um, just because, you know, doing this is something we can do during this time. You know, I've, I've, you know, the first couple of weeks of this, there was, it was just everything stopped. There was no like real plan. And I felt a little self-conscious doing uh, live streams from the thing. And when I sat down and tried to be creative, like writing a song or something, I just was not in the headspace, you know. Through doing the podcast, I've learned that most everyone isn't in that. There's not a lot of people out there writing a bunch of songs right now. Really? Unfortunately, yeah, we have the that's time. True. You're just, it's hard to do it with like a constant low-grade anxiety. <laughs> well, true. we're discovering how much interaction plays in our everyday psyche. Yeah, totally. Or lack of. Yeah, so this yeah. is one way you can still interact with people and, you know, not have to leave your house necessarily. Yeah, luckily. But um, anyway, so I, I started the podcast. I got uh, my friend Jeremy Nail came over and I did one and it was terrible. And then I spent uh, maybe a month kind of working on my style <laughs> and uh and then well, started talk about that process well i realized that i was real aggressive and kind of i mean uh i didn't realize how much i talked over people or, or thought that like if you had a show then it was your show so you just i did i was just very aggressive more aggressive than i was in normal conversation so i had to find some middle point where i was still entertaining and then also still polite like I am in normal life so um I just kind of, I mean you know I just kind of started doing it and there were things like you know I remember if you go back and listen to the very first couple of them in the intros I was I didn't want to sound too excited because I thought I sounded stupid so I just kind of was like John Haley and uh <laughs> and Dale Dudley was like he was like, I sent him a thing. I was like, hey, check this out. And he wrote me back, who died? And I was like, <laughs> what do you mean? And he was like, you know, this is like le legitimately terrible. Like the, your intro, I don't know what kind of, you're a fun guy to talk to. Like, why did you stop being like that? And then he explained to me that the show was my show and people should want to come to hear what I have to say to whoever I'm talking to as opposed to whoever the guest is. So then I just kind of let my personality out naturally. Yeah. Nice. Well, you, you had talked about the discipline of doing it. What does that refer to? Well, it was just like you, you know, you've got a podcast. We're in control of what we want to do. And there's days that you don't want to do it. So then you don't do it. So then do you have a real show if you're just kind of like being willy nilly about it? Like, do you go turn on the Tonight Show and it's just not on because Jimmy Fallon was sleepy that day or something? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So Jimmy Fallon had a fight with his girlfriend and felt like just watching The Office so he didn't have to think about stuff. So it was just kind of that, like this is, if you're going to do it, do it for real and don't, don't, don't make us look bad. 
Yeah. That's that, good. One of the yeah. things that we've, we've been trying to do is, um, we had a couple of false starts because of the Christmas holiday. You know, we started later last year and all of a sudden it was like, we couldn't book anybody. <laughs> yeah. They're all busy yeah. at that time of year. And then, um, you know, of course, when this pandemic first started, it was like, well, what do we do now? You know, cause we've been sitting in a deli doing our podcast, right. interviewing people. And it's like, uh, we got to find another way to do this and quick. Yeah. So. Right. Well, I, you know, lucky for me, I mean, I've, since I started doing it, you know, I've done ones with people that aren't from Austin, uh, you know, a lot of them remotely. And so I had already done the Skype ones and knew how it worked and realized like, well, I can totally, this doesn't have to affect the podcast at all. And in fact, I can sort of bring out people's experience under this, you know, yeah, it took us a little investigating how to uh, run the Zoom or Skype through our soundboard, and I was, right. I was like, hmm. <laughs> and still working on it. Yeah. Joel upgraded his mic. You mentioned just WTF, went. which is one of my favorite podcasts. Yeah. Uh, what other podcasts do you listen to, and how much time do you spend listening to podcasts? Um, well, in Skyrocket, this is terrible ecologically but you also have to realize that a lot of people are in our 50s now and we don't i not, wish i was in my 50s we're not all gonna meet at somebody's house and then get in a van and then wait for this guy to pee and wait for this guy to get it. so everybody's like realized that one way for us to never be mad at each other is to not travel together <laughs> so, so there's a lot of a lot of solo travel and during that time you know <clears throat> I find myself listening to podcasts. It's really fun to do. Uh, I exercise. I walk, you know, uh, about five miles almost every day. I listen to them during that time. Um, sometimes I listen to them when I'm cleaning my house or setting stuff up. I just, you know, I love it. I love, um, I love hearing connection. And I think the thing that I got from Marin's podcast and from his sort of approach is that that's what it should be about. Like the, being able to to connect with someone as opposed to expose some truth that nobody's heard. Or, you know what I mean? Like there's yeah. a different way of doing it in the style of conversation as opposed to the list of questions or, or things like that, where you follow instinctively where a, where a conversation's going while trying to pull something out of, out of someone while still making them feel comfortable in the context of what they're talking about and letting conversations go, where they would naturally go. So going back to music, uh, yeah. you, you're, you're doing the skyrocket yeah. thing, which is a cover band. Yeah. Uh, what are you doing about with your creative original music? I just, are you still writing? Oh yeah. Are you still recording? Yeah, I'm writing and recording. I, I just recorded a single in February that is almost done. We got a quick, it was like pretty much two weeks before we went under lockdown that I was finishing it up. And uh, that'll be out. It's a song I wrote with Mark Addison, a really great producer here in town that I've been close friends with for like 25 years now. Um, and uh, I put out a, an EP uh, a year and a half ago called Leper Hands that I did with Scrap uh, B.J. Newcomb producing. Um and uh, I've been playing with a band that I kind of put together when, you know, whoever can make it, which is uh, 
either Anar Peterson, my friend that plays with the Fray, and I've played with since Gowdy, and he was actually the the second bass player of Mr. Rocket Baby. So he and I have been playing together for a good 25 years now. And uh, Kevin Lance, who was also in Mr. Rocket Baby, and uh, uh, Gabriel Rhodes, and sometimes Scrappy Judd Newcomb when he's in town and available. And uh, and I have these real cool backup singers like Jamie Harris and Jane Ellen Bryant and this mm-hmm. girl Sarah Dossey and this other, uh, I shouldn't say girl, ladies. Uh, they just, they're, they're like in their 20s. So I always feel like their granddad or something or like their uncle. <laughs> so speaking uh, of which, music during during a lockdown, have you done any virtual shows? And there's... Yeah. You and Skyrocket considering the virtual show. <laughs> um, the virtual show for us, uh, I mean, we've talked a little bit about it, but um, I, I don't know how that's going to work until we're able to actually, you know, you know, if we get in a room, that's seven people already. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, having a couple people doing the technical side of it might let, you know, we, just when everybody feels comfortable, we'll do it. But I have done, uh, I did like a, Every Thursday in April, I did a, a show from here in my studio, um, just kind of playing all the songs from my career and, you know, cool. switching between piano and guitar and ukulele and stuff. I've got a whole, uh, set up in here. I've got like organs and Casios. I've got guitars and stuff back there and, and a piano and stuff over here. So I did a bunch of that stuff. And uh, then I, <laughs> I'm glad that I only did it for a month because I kind of felt like, well, I've kind of taken this guy just sitting here by himself about as far as I can take it with those four shows. So now I'm just going to do uh, find collaborations with people that we can do safely. And I think my mm-hmm. friend Gabe Rhodes and I are going to do one next week. And my friend A&R and I are going to do one in a couple weeks. So, yeah. Nice. Nice. Gabe yeah, I guess that's great. Yeah, Gabe's amazing, man. He's like a, a brother to me. So have you guys? Oh, sorry. Have you guys heard that song? I wonder what's in your butt yeah. The little girl thing. So I sent him. I sent him that last night, and I was like, "Hey, we should cover this next week." And he wrote six verses for it. Oh no! And sent it back. <laughs> did you see the mashup that Darren did? Yeah, with yeah, yeah. That, that was great. It was genius. Hilarious, man. So hey, so we should play one of your one of your songs. What song of yours should we play? Um, you can play this song called uh, "Everyone's Got Something" from my uh, Leper Hands EP. It's on Spotify, okay. so, or I could send you an MP3. If, I don't know how you guys do that. Well, let's pretend we're taking a break here, okay. and, and if you could send that to Bob, that'd be fantastic. You got it.
Hi, we're back with Johnny Gowdy, where uh, Joel and I are having a conversation with him, and it's been a lot of fun so far. Um, so, so far. So far. <laughs> so uh, one of the things I wanted to touch on is on your podcast, you're coming up on a thousand episodes. That's a pretty big deal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of hard to believe. Because I did, like when I was telling you earlier, uh, that those guys told me to take it seriously and to uh to have the discipline to put out these shows that i what i did was i figured out i knew i knew i could do one a month one every two weeks one a week but i would totally get sidetracked and throw myself into something else and i knew that if i really wanted to excel and also under dale dudley's advice that content was king to have as much up as you can I was like well then I'm going to put out two shows a week and I make myself put out two shows a week since you know September of 2011 two shows at least I mean yeah how that do week, you, the week of South by Southwest this year I put out five shows that week wow how do you book your interviewees well it started with just my phone and my friends and uh then, uh, since it was so early on, and uh, I know that Miles and Tony from Fastball did did a podcast thing very early on. Uh, like, I want to say like 2009, but they only did a couple of episodes. But basically, there wasn't sort of, there was all these comedians talking to comedians, but there was no like musicians talking to musicians kind of thing. And, uh, wait, what was the question? I got lost in that. My how own. do you, how do you book? I mean, two okay, shows so, a week. Yeah, I'm sorry. So, yeah. yeah. So I started, I started calling people. Then, uh, then people started reaching out to me. Then publicists started reaching out to me. And so now it's all different ways, you know, like, uh, hmm. for instance, there's a band called, uh, gosh, what is their name? Um, I'll think of it in just a second. Sorry. I'm having a thousand episode moment. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, well, I, I saw I was, I was doing some work on the computer and I had the TV on with the sound off and I looked up and I saw this band on TV and I, I blew my mind. And um, here, hold on. I'll tell you the name of them. You should check them out because they're really amazing. Uh, anyway, I saw this band. I turned it on and immediately, uh, immediately reached out to them and like on Facebook so it, it now at this point it happens all different ways you know uh, from publicists to I still see bands or I go I go see a band and the band playing before after them it's like some band that's super cool and I'll hang out and you know talk to them afterwards and stuff cool and and sorry and so it's also like I do get a lot of stuff from publicists I will say yeah so what are the plans for number 1,000? I have who, no idea. Who, okay. Who would be a uh, dream interview for you? Hmm. There sure are a lot of them. Um, 
I think Joe Ely would be great. Like on a local level, like people like Joe Ely, Ray Benson, mm-hmm. um, guys like that with like a pretty thick story. Uh, um, who else? I mean, there are people like, you know, Gary Clark Jr. We've talked about this so a lot of times and we had one book and, uh, and it, it, fell through and ever since then it's just always fallen through and then I thought about reaching out to him during this time because I'm like well if we just do it over this so he doesn't have to do anything then I felt like you get that feeling where you're like uh well I haven't called this guy to say hi and see how he's doing with his family or anything you know what I mean yeah yeah I'll be honest with you guys there are people like Charlie Sexton who I've talked to a bunch of times is a very good friend of mine about doing the show but there's been a little bit of like, a, I don't know if this is, if I want to sit down and, you know, dump my whole story as opposed to just talking about music and gear and stuff. Um, cause my show is a little bit more personal. Uh, so if I ever meet any, any resistance in that, I let it go because I don't ever want to walk into a room and not be like the Johnny they know and love and be like, you know, Oh God, here he comes. Hey, yeah. if he gets on the podcasting, change the subject. You know what I mean? So I try not to be pushy with it like that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, although if I remember right, Charlie's always kind of had a um, reputation as a very private person. Yeah. So. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's unusual. the thing is like, well, you're friends with him too. I can come at him with stuff that maybe it's like, uh, Hey, that's what we talk about. That just as Rose. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, uh, it's a matter of respect. Yeah. Yeah, and I respect. You know, he's yeah. definitely got got my respect. That's for sure. So but yeah, I mean, I have a lot of dream guests. I, there's people that I wonder if I would ever freeze up. Like there's people. Uh, remember the Chris Farley, Paul McCartney interview? Yeah. <laughs> I worry about that sometimes. <laughs> I got it. I have to throw a story in here. I have a friend who's a left-handed bass player. Idolized Paul McCartney. Just even played a Hofner bass, you know, very good musician living. I was living in LA. He's at the record plant doing some recording. He played for juice Newton and he's walking down the hall and he passes Paul McCartney and all of his years of planning of the conversation he'd have with Paul McCartney went right out the window. And he goes, Mr. McCartney, I have all your albums. And, Paul looked at him and said, yes, and I have all of yours. <laughs> That's really nice. So, yeah, th- there are people I know I would just just freeze. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got a goofy But one that would be you. cool. What's that? So if I remember right, didn't you win the Dudley and Bob uh, theme song contest? Yeah. Okay, so and it's not because we're friends. That was voted on by the voters. By no, the I understand. I mean, it's so- we, didn't, we didn't win. We didn't. Here's the deal. First of all, sorry, let me clarify this. <laughs> um, Scrappy and me are both huge fans of the show and right. friends of those guys. And so, uh, um, last winter, uh, Dale called and said, "Hey, can you do some music?" me because we don't want to pay for the music like to <laughs> of course, whatever yeah. or maybe the radio station didn't want to I don't know exactly 
so uh so Scrappy and me did it and then he they did this competition and Scrappy I mean I got Scrappy was cool with it. I actually got pissed. I was like, wait a minute, we did all this music for you and now you have like this, we're gonna give a thousand dollars to some dude. So we didn't win the main one, but we did uh we we got like a close second, I think is what it was. <laughs> But I honestly, I think because of they gave us a shout out every time they were, we did, I mean, we did like 10 or 11 pieces of music for them for their show that were on for like six or seven months. Yeah, no, I mean, this stuff sounded great. I, I'm not trying to make it. Uh, we recorded it in here. Yeah. I'm not yeah. trying to make it sound awkward. I don't, you, you guys earned I, it. <laughs> I, I have to tell you, uh, uh, we had, so much fun doing that because you know they'd say like oh we need a song uh we have a we have a section called the hot box in our show for the people that smoke weed in their car on the way to work and so uh like we would just sit across from each other with guitars and sing different stuff and as soon as one of us started laughing then we we followed that trail yeah cool perfect yeah so yeah. this is uh, this is the part of the show where we try to have a little fun with our guest and uh, find out a little little of their backgrounds and some interesting things. Um, so when you first got to Austin, what was your first impression? Um, well, when I came here in 1984 from the Woodlands, I had been coming here, you know, most of my life to visit and hang out and do stuff with friends. And, uh, but when I came here in 1984, it was like a dream world, you know, mm -hmm. I went from this really conservative, I mean, uh, you know, it's Texas out there. In, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I mean, in 1984, I mean, like I was weird cause I had a single mom, like, and she had an accent from Cuba and they're like whoa like what is up with your mom you know what I mean why don't you have a dad at home and I mean like that was considered weird to like going to Austin High with kids like Ian Moore and hanging out with guys like Will Sexton and stuff where I felt like oh shit my people are here you know like weird weirdos <laughs> <laughs> so you know there was a lot of guys I became friends with them like Elias Hasslinger Ian uh, uh, Will and I became very very close friends when we were teenagers and kind of like, uh, like literally spent a lot of weekends just after school on Friday till Sunday night at his house. Um, but yeah, I, I, I thought it was a dream world. You know, here were all these professional musicians and, you know, getting to hang out with Mark Hallman all the time. You know, I got to be his roadie for a while until he realized that was so terrible. He let me be in his band. So <laughs> yeah, it's pretty crazy. So. Where are some of the places you yeah. like to hang out when you're not playing music or doing podcasts? Um, well, the Continental Club and the Continental Club Gallery and Seaboys are my main places. Uh, I love going to, uh, I like Hotel Vegas a lot and the Volstead. Um, I love going to One to One Bar. I, a huge fan of the sound guy, Kurt there and the owners of it and stuff are such wonderful people. Um, and all the staff, it just is a good place to go. And there's usually, I usually go where I think I'm going to run into friends of mine or to go see someone who's playing, but I love places like cheer up Charlie's a lot. I love the scoot in. I really love all that. You know, there's very few places that I just like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mention them, but there's more places that I love than I, I don't here. 
Nice. So, um, yeah. if you had a couple of days off and and nothing to do, what you mean would like you the do? last two months? Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, what, like what you're doing under quarantine right now. <laughs> well, I'll tell you. I mean, like a lot of people, I've been cooking, which is ridiculous. I made a baked ziti last week. That three quarters of it is still in my freezer. Um, a lot of walking around. I mean, I, I would definitely, if, if it was not under quarantine, I would do things with friends. I mean, it's been really beautiful. Maybe I would go hang out with friends of mine that live in Dripping Springs or Wimberley or something, or go walking around the trail, uh, go to an outside place where you can have afternoon, like, you know, whatever time it is, almost five o'clock cocktails and uh, go see some music, go to the movies. I miss going to the movies. Oh yeah, I'm a big fan of the movies. So, Joel, you better buckle yourself in for this one. Um, okay. Uh, since Austin's theme is "Keep Austin Weird," what's the weirdest thing you've seen in Austin? Dude, I've seen some weird stuff. <laughs> um, I figured. <laughs> trying to think of. Well, just whenever somebody says that, I just think of like weird times of hanging out. What was that place? Doc? Remember Doc? Yeah. On, on, uh, Congress and Academy? Mm-hmm. Uh, hanging out there with Leslie. Of course. Of course. Yeah. He knew I was a sucker that would get him whatever he wanted. Oh, you know, I mean, I don't mean like drugs or something, but I, right. you know, I'd buy him some drinks and some food and give him cigarettes and stuff. Uh, I just hanging out with him there, like just like hanging out with, with him there. Like he would be in a song and like, you know, um, yeah, there was one time I actually have a picture of it. He was wearing like a cowboy hat and like a Star Trek uniform shirt. With like the <laughs> emblem on it and everything, right. and a gold LeMay song, and like these heels, and he's just kind of like sitting there having to wear it. It looks like we're deep in this. It's pretty funny, but yeah, yeah I guess stuff with Leslie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he comes up a lot for that. I question. think Leslie is is leading the the answers for the weirdest thing we've seen. Yeah, is he okay? Yeah, <laughs> where did he get his clothes? Did you ever know. wonder about that? I don't know. God, I mean, where do you buy a gold lamate that fits a 65-year-old man? I don't know. He was hmm. a, he was an interesting an interesting guy. I guess also in his different like whatever level of of non-sobriety he was in cuz there was a couple of times I ran into him where I was like, "All right, man." <laughs> yeah. I go. Yeah. Okay. But so, uh go ahead. Yeah. No, no, no. Oh, I was going to say about- so the next the next question's uh, other than traffic. What is the biggest change you've seen since you've been here? And it doesn't have to be physical. It can be in the personality of the city, whatever, wherever you think. I was just talking about this yesterday with my cousin. When I moved back here in 1991, Slacker was still at the Dobie Theater, and I went to go see it. And it was just like where I was living at the time. I had a girlfriend that lived over on West Campus, and I used to hang out over there a lot, walk around, go to Mad Dogs and Beans and Lays on Me and all the all the places over there. And uh, 
the biggest change is n- not just that those places have turned into like Chipotle's and stuff like that, but like, you know, the conversations that everybody's kind of having as they're <laughs> walking around in that movie are just these absurd, ridiculous, kind of like mm-hmm. slightly intellectual sometimes, but they're just kind of like weird conversations. That's one thing I noticed that doesn't happen around. But that dialogue, I feel like you could walk down the drag and go to those places. You would hear a lot of that kind of, you know, quacking bushes on the, like in that mm-hmm. little smoking section in that front part they had there. People just getting jacked up on espresso and just talking insane things, conspiracies and stuff like that. That's one thing that I've noticed has changed. Because a lot of those weirdos aren't just walking around talking anymore. Yeah, absolutely. And so final question here. If you somebody was you knew somebody who was moving to Austin, what advice would you give them other than don't? Um <laughs> I mean I live on Riverside like on the trail like right by downtown. I would say that if you can find a place that you can afford that living in in town within if there's a way to live within walking distance of stuff life here is really great on that level like i think if i had to live in buda and drive in to do everything that i wanted to do it might be a little bit weird even though it's not that far but it seems far to me i have like a very uh even though i've never lived there there's like a new yorker life to me where you just walk down the street and get whatever you need to eat there's a you know you got everything within walking or like, you know, $4 Uber ride, but there's so much, there's so much happening in this town when it's not under quarantine that like, really, I mean, you notice it now more than ever. Like, it's like, there was so much going on all the time two months ago. Oh yeah. So much, so much. I mean, restaurants, bars, cool places to hang out, all of the great sort of, uh, inner city outdoor space that we have, which is so great. You got like this, it's almost like a central park vibe, you know, the whole trail and, and Ladybird Lake and everything. Right. Yeah. I love, I just love this city. I love, I love the vibe. And I mean, a lot of it is too, you know, I, I try new places, but I do go places where I, I know people and I feel like I was saying earlier, like going out to places like continental club, Seaboys or uh, or the gallery, just having lived here so long and been a part of this scene that if I go there and there's four people there, chances are I'm going to know one or two of them from somewhere, you know, and get to hang out with them. And that's, that's one of my favorite things about here is the community. And, you know, sure. a lot, before we go, uh, a lot of what, what led me, I was brought up by people in the scene. You know, there's people that, that, you know, the Stephen Dosters, not just Hallman, but like Stephen Doster, Bradley Cobb. Um, nice. Uh, guys like Van Wilkes that I always looked up to, you know. They're guys that were always, uh, John D. Graham was always very available to me. And uh, and uh, my friend Anar, when we were going through our major label, recording label stuff, and we didn't, you know, we had a lot of questions. And it's great to to sit down with someone as cynical as John D to sort of like give you the real medicine. Uh, but that's what, that's what made it so easy. Like, I feel like this 
scene is built on uh, generations of people bringing each other up. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to be, I realized like, well, I guess I'm at the age where I need to stop asking me, everyone to bring me up and turn around and start trying to help some other people get ahead and sort of like make sure that this scene is preserved in that way, that there is that sense of community. Like that's one of the things that, that we really try to impart into these people is like, you can go ask managers, lawyers and all that stuff all you want, but your greatest asset is this group of people that you have access to that are all doing all different kinds of things. You know, you've got people like David Grissom and, and, uh, and Anar and all these people that have toured the world with all these bands. You have people that have, you know, led their own bands and done their own stuff for a long time and managed to keep themselves going. Um, and those are all tremendous assets and they're all kind of here and accessible to all of us. So I'm glad to be a part of that sort of like circle of life. No, you definitely very are. Nice. I mean, I, yeah. very nice. I've always thought of you as, you know, from what I've heard from people as a very giving musician and very giving person in general. Oh, thanks, man. Thanks. Yeah. Well, I got, you know, I wouldn't be here if it weren't for those who gave to me. So I'm very, I'm very cognizant of that. Yeah. So in the, the sense of giving, give everybody a plug for your websites, your uh, social media, anything else? Well, you your can, podcast. Yeah. You can find, you can find everything at johnnygowdy.com. There's links to everything there. That's the best place to go. There's links to the music and Spotify, links to my Instagram, Facebook. Uh, how did I get here? The, the website is how did I get here.podbean.com, but it is available on all the like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts just started a new thing. Did you guys get on that? Which one? The Google Podcast? Not yet. No, we're they on Spotify, just, iTunes, all that kind of stuff. But They just started there. I got this huge, very weird spike the other day in my numbers out of the blue on like a, a day that wouldn't have that many numbers. And I went and looked and it was, uh, I had all this new, I had a whole new uh, platform that people were listening from. And I guess uh, the Google podcast app started a few weeks ago. Oh, cool. Just been featuring different ones daily. So yeah. Well, so anyway, yeah, you can find it anywhere. You can find my music and stuff on Spotify. You can find the Gaudi music on Spotify. I'll be doing some live streaming on my Instagram and on my Johnny Gaudi music Facebook page. So yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Joel, you have thank you guys you for having play. me. Yeah. Well, um, Again, I can't thank you enough for coming on our podcast. We'd love Thanks, to have man. you on again at some point. Um, sure. You know, and it was congratulations on a thousand. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. All we're right. uh, we're we're rooting for twenty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, stay on it, man. Yeah, it actually sure. comes. It's weird, you know. Uh, when you do it, you don't really. You're not really counting, but every once in a while, you'll see a number and just be like, "Wow." Yeah, cool. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, for Joel McCall, Johnny Gowdy, myself, uh, we'll see you next time on the trail to Austin. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thank you. Thanks.